you're listening to Midlife State of Mind Podcast, hosted by Aaron Beadle and Belinda Fleming, two gals who dish on all the challenges and opportunities that come with this middle section of your life. Each episode, you'll find yourself going between laughter and tears as they cover all the topics you need to know about midlife. Welcome back to Midlife State of Mind. I'm your host, Erin Beadle. And Belinda Fleming. Thank you for tuning in today. We are excited to kick off a new series about love. And we are going to take a deeper dive into the different types of love. It's interesting. I, I knew that there was different types of love. But for Christmas, my youngest son asked for a book by C.S. Lewis. And it's called The Four Loves. If you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And he's written a lot of books that are for adults, not kid books. Mm-hmm. He is an early pioneer of more of the personal development books. He's been around for a long time. And his book, The Four Loves talks about the four types of love and there are four very distinct types of love. I'll briefly kind of tell you what they are and we're going to take a deeper dive into each type in in future episodes. Eros, we're all familiar with that. It's that erotic, passionate love, right? It's often more about need and more about the person that is feeling it than the focus of the love. Then there's philia, which if you know Philadelphia, (laughs) city of brotherly love, that's what that word comes from. It's the love for friends and equals. And it often is the kind that where Eros, the erotic, passionate love can turn into philia over time. If you've been married for a long time, like me, 32 years, you know, when Jeff and I were first married, of course, there was that super hot fire passionate love that eventually over time, it turns into a deeper philia love. I don't love him like my brother, don't get me wrong. (laughs) And then there's storage, which is the love of parent for children. And it is the most natural. It's the one that is present without any corrosion over time. And it pays the least attention to whether the person is worthy of your love or not. Lynn and I can both attest to unconditional love. The mother's love. Yes. I mean, it could be father's love. We just speak from being mothers. So storage, that's not a word that I'm familiar with. S-T-O-R-G-E. I think all of these are Greek words. Okay. Storage meaning love. And then agape. We've all heard of agape, right? That's that love of mankind. And it usually is the love that has no benefit to us. So it's the kind of love we give out. We talk about this often in yoga, this agape love, right? Where every single one of us is worthy of love and we give love even without receiving, even without the idea of receiving it back. What was Hayden's interest in learning about the four types of love? I'm just curious. He's in college. Was it something He's in college. It wasn't for school. It's more just for his own growth. He's just trying to recognize he had his first Eros love freshman year and it ended and I think he's just trying to figure out what am I doing you know he hadn't dated in high school junior senior year were those pandemic years where you didn't go to school yeah Yeah. you were disconnected and and so he's just trying to grow as a person he's always really interested in personal growth so I'm actually going to read the book when he finishes it he hasn't finished it he was home and I was like hey can I borrow your book and he's like I'm not done with it I was an 
education major, early elementary education. And so I was very familiar with the parenting styles. Are you familiar with those? Yes. So Mary Ainsworth was a researcher who did a lot of research in the 70s on parenting styles, parenting attachment styles. There's four different ones. There's secure attachment. That's where when you're separated, when a child is separated from their caregiver, they experience distress. When they're reunited with the caregiver, they experience relief. Then there is the ambivalent insecure attachment is where a child experiences distress when they're separated from their caregiver. But then when they're reunited with their caregiver, they don't experience comfort. Then there's avoidant insecure attachment, which is where a child doesn't seek comfort from the caregiver at all. Whether they're separated from the caregiver, it doesn't bother them. And then when they're reunited, it doesn't phase them. They're self-soothing and they take care of their own needs. Well, sometimes it's a disconnect maybe that they've experienced. And then there's disorganized insecure, which means that they don't have any particular style. It can go between the ambivalent and the avoidant. It's fascinating to me how... I wish I had actually been better read when my kids, before I ever had kids, I knew a little bit, but I don't think I knew enough about just how important that early relationship is with the primary caregiver. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a female. It could be a male. It's that first relationship with that primary caregiver. A fascinating thing that I read, because our primary caregiver as an infant is our first love of our life. If you think about it, it's the first way that we experience love and connection. So that sets up oftentimes patterns for us that we repeat throughout our life. It's very true. My, my oldest son just got married recently and he wrote the sweetest card to me because he, re- he even remembered that when he was a little boy, he and I tucked him in one night, he was like, Mommy, I hope one day I get to marry you. And of course, you know, it's so sweet. And it's I so, love it when my boys wanted to marry me. Yeah, and, and, and it's these stages that you're talking about. Absolutely. You were the first love of his life. Yes. And so it's so beautiful when your children just feel this deep, deep love towards you because they know you love them unconditionally. Yeah. And then one day that channels into them meeting the love of their life and what happened for him. And it was such a gift for me to read those words back and for for me to know that God has placed the perfect person in his life for him to marry. So do you believe or have you read about the five love languages? And what are your love languages? Let's talk about them first. Yes. Tell us what they are for for listeners that may not know. Yeah. So according to the author Gary Chapman, there's five love languages. And our love language describes how we receive love from others. So there are words of affirmation, saying supportive things to your partner, acts of service, doing helpful things for your partner, Receiving gifts, giving your partner gifts that tell them you were thinking about them. Quality time, spending meaningful time with your partner, and then physical touch, being close to and caressed by your partner. So each of us has different ways that we receive love. And so by learning to give love in the ways that our partner can best receive it, and by asking our partner to give us love in the ways that we can receive it, then of course we're building a really strong relationship. But what I think happens sometimes is that we tend to give love. In the, the way we love to give love. Yeah. I mean, the way we love to get love. Instead of really tuning in to what makes our partner 
come alive. When it could even be not even in a romantic partner, but a friendship. What is your friend's love language? But it goes into self-awareness. You have to be aware of what it is that you want, your needs, and what makes you feel love. But you also have to be willing to put yourself in their shoes Mm -hmm. because how they were brought up and their initial attachment or whatever, like you were discussing, is very, could be very different. And you have to be willing to say, okay, well, just because I love words of affirmation, that may not resonate with my partner. And so if I'm over there giving him words of affirmation all day long and he's just like, you know, it's going right over his head, not really making an impact then there's going to be a disconnect in our relationship. What is your love language? I am all about quality time mm-hmm. and physical touch and not I could care less about gifts. I really am not very materialistic. I like nice things, but I really want that quality time. Mm-hmm. That my, those would be my top 2, but okay. acts of service are important too, but that goes along with quality time. Right. I was going to say my top 2 are quality time and acts of service and then gifts is number 5. Yeah. For me, unless now I do like if someone gives me something that maybe either they made or that they saw that made them think of me, that it doesn't have to be expensive. It could be. So you like the sentimentality of it. Because you know what? That almost ties into being an act of service Mm -hmm. because it's they saw this or they sought out, they know. So for instance, my husband loves coffee. He is a coffee snob, connoisseur, whatever you want to call it. He loves really good coffee. And I did a lot of research to find a coffee place that they roast their beans and send them out the same day so that, you know, some of the stuff that you buy in the store has been sitting on the shelves. It was roasted 18 months ago. By the time you get it, it's just not as intense and as flavorful. So I found a company out of Colorado, out of Denver, that they roast the coffee that day. They have their own roastery. Actually, during the pandemic, it burned down, and he was without his special coffee for a while. Uh So this has been going on. We've gotten this coffee for 12 years now. He gets a, a recurring where, you know, like a member where every six weeks he gets three bags of coffee or four bags or whatever. So that was, even though Jeff is not an, a gifts person, that's not his love language. It was because it was something that was so meaningful because he loves coffee that I went to all this, you know, trouble to find this coffee. So even though gifts aren't his love language either, that was really special to him. I have to say, even though gifts are like my number five, if it's something really meaningful, because then it took quality time for them to find it. It was, you know, an act of service. But, you know, I mean, I think all the love languages are important in some way, but knowing your love language and then knowing your partner or your friend's love language is important to have a meaningful relationship. And that's what I'm all about, connection and presence and presence with your physical yes yes yeah and presence with a big bow (laughs) no 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 (laughs) not at all not at all so I really I really do seek out you know even with my children I say guys you know this our parent child relationship is not transactional like I know I've provide for you and I give you things monetarily, take care of, you know, whatever it is you have going on. But I want a real relationship. I want to know what's going on in your life. How are you feeling today? Right. So So even with your children, knowing your children's love language. Mm -hmm. And I do think they are all about the presence with the bows. (laughs) Well I was (laughs) not not all of them, but two of my girls are but they go through I think all kids we go through that stage of gifts, right? Or presents. You go to the store or dad travels for a living and he brings home a little present from the airport or something. 
I think that they go through all of them kind of go through that well phase. because and we some live it lasts in America longer. and it's commercialized right. I think consumerism every, yes and every holiday even you know talking about it, Valentine's Day coming up I mean good grief do we really have to go spend six dollars for a Valentine's card for our partner when we can just write something really sweetly or buy them a book to read and write, and then write, write a and, love note in the book right you know? absolutely so. I hate cards because they're <laughs> I just they're expensive trash yeah yeah I agree so I when my kids were little we always made cards for people and it was then it was like artwork it wasn't so expensive one thing I did want to say talking about those parenting styles or attachment styles although they do influence how we end up and influence our relationships love relationships later in life whether they're the romantic ones or the friendship ones they do influence it but it's not set in stone as adults especially are able to take responsibility and just because your parents did something doesn't mean you have to repeat it that's where that idea of personal development always looking to try to learn and grow come in right Mm -hmm. well I wanted to share something from a, a book that I love it is by Brene Brown it's called Atlas of the Heart And I actually use this um, to share this month at my yoga studio, Soul Yoga. We are talking about love, but the the type of love that is from meaningful connection and loving relationships, not necessarily romantic relationships. And actually that loving relationship that starts within ourself. So I just wanted to share a story that she talks about. While I experienced a lot of tough moments growing up, there was also countless gifts. And sometimes it felt like, It had to be one or the other, but as we learned in this work, both things can be true. One of the most valuable gifts in my life was my mom. She taught us to never look away from pain. The lesson was simple and clear. Don't look away. Don't look down. Don't pretend not to see hurt. Look people in the eye. Even when their pain is overwhelming and when you're hurting and in pain, find the people who can look you in the eye. We need to know that we're not alone. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, and it's true. If you've ever sat with somebody through a hard time, whether it's a partner or a friend, it's important to just hold space for them and just be there. You don't even have to say anything. Just support them. Yes, just look them in the eye. Don't look away from it. And I think that is hard for people to do oftentimes because it brings up a lot of emotion that maybe either fear or things that they're trying to hide. And it's also interesting, too, because the connection that we have with ourself is where it starts. And that's the family origins that you're talking about, how our relationship with our caregivers, not just our parents, even our grandparents, Mm -hmm. all of those, you know, are very meaningful relationships. And we actually start there with our family origin story. And then we build out from that seeking relationships that might mirror what we grew up with, whether that's good or bad. And I think you've talked about that we can, if we can sit with these love ideas and patterns and really know what our story is, then we can decide if that's how we want to continue to to go down that path or if we need to look and shift into changing those. So do you remember your first love? What age were you? I had a boyfriend in high school. Oh, not till high school. Yeah, I don't think I had a serious boyfriend until high school. I was kind of a late bloomer. But did you not have crushes? I can remember my first crush was a guy named Ricky. And I was in first grade. And one of my friends, Melissa, and I both loved him. He had black hair and he would slick it back and he wore a white t-shirt and he would roll up the side of the sleeve. Sounds like Fonzie. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he'd say, hey, put his thumbs out. First grade. That's hilarious. I honestly remember not being boy crazy at all. My sister, I felt like, was boy crazy at an early age, and I had friends that were. I would have to say I didn't even like a boy until I was in middle school. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I remember back in the day... You know, everyone would have these parties, and they would play spin the bottle, and I was always very shy about it, and didn't even like going because I was so afraid that I the was, bottle was gonna yes, end and I was up gonna have to kiss you. Somebody. I didn't know how to kiss. I didn't know how to French kiss or anything, and so I was gonna be really embarrassed. You know. So. Yeah, isn't that funny? Because so I was used, a late bloomer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I didn't have Ricky wasn't my boyfriend in first grade. I just remember <laughs> that I loved Ricky. Isn't that funny? I mean, to this day, I can picture him. That's funny. Just like in my head with the white t-shirt with the rolled up sleeves. I swear he had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth too. Oh, gross. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> but he sounds like, like a 50s greaser or something. Well, if Ricky's listening to our podcast today, I hope he's not easily offended. I know. I would hate to hurt his feelings. Well, I know that at Seoul, the yoga studio that you own, you usually do a Dharma, which is a theme for the month. And for this month, it is on the heart chakra. Absolutely. So we are talking about connecting and relating through the chakras and the heart is considered the fourth chakra so it is considered the bridge that connects the higher chakras to the lower chakras and anyone that wants to take a deeper dive into that that would be a whole nother episode yeah we can do we can jump into the chakras but basically they're just energy centers yes these wheels of energy and the love that we experience through the fourth chakra isn't about romantic love so it is really about going beyond the limitations of our ego and it's how we give and receive love in so the it's world. that agape absolutely it's exactly it's, it's that. the love for mankind that has without expectation for it to be returned to us yes and so seeing the world through this lens is about being in a state of openness and acceptance that brings us in touch to uh, ourselves in a profound way and then we actually are able to connect with others in a profound way and it's just this, we see beauty in life and we see love. And it's just this wonderful experience when you have balance with your identity with love. So. Well, you know how I mentioned about Hayden, when you asked about why he was interested in that book, one of the things that he had said to me, which I think is why he wanted this book, is he's like, I don't even know what love is. <laughs> do we, do any of like, us I'm know? like, uh, I want to know what love is. I'm like, there was a song written about it. <laughs> Exactly. So, so it's, you know, when we think about anything having to do with the heart, and it is American Heart Month, uh, health conscious from a physical standpoint, and also health healthy heart from an emotional standpoint. So this is a perfect time to be talking about it. And what is our capacity to love? How do we integrate our, how we're, we were brought up and how we are as adults? How do we integrate all of that and operate from a place of unconditional love and connection? And we want to have meaningful relationships. So it's wonderful that we're actually going to dive deeper into this upcoming series and have multiple episodes and take a deeper dive. Yeah, I'm excited to like really dive deeper into each type of love and how we can best show that love and receive that love. So So when we live from our heart, our heart energy is open and balanced and we can actually see more clearly, even in challenging situations, we can try to find that higher path and that taps us into just a place where it's just 
we want to have, we only get one life, right? And we want to rise above suffering and rise above sadness. And these are all things that are going to happen. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But, Absolutely. But can we operate from a place of the heart instead of a place that's in the mind replaying past negative experiences? Can we learn from those and can we can we try to find it within us to keep this open flow? And open flow is, which as a matter of fact, brings me to a quote that I love very, very much by Rumi. And I shared this this past week in a yoga class and it says, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you've built against it. And because we do, we build up, we harden our hearts, I think, often once we've been hurt. We try to protect ourselves. It's a protective mechanism. And it's it's natural because if you think about a dog, if they show you their belly, their soft underside, it means they really trust you. And, and we have to be able to keep ourselves with the ability to show our soft belly to people, you know, to show our heart. Yeah, because love involves risk. Every single time we open up our heart and there's a risk that we're taking, we're having to put ourselves out there and be vulnerable. We're having to open ourselves up to potential hurts. Absolutely. But we also, at the same time, open ourselves up to the to something Very great. Beautiful. Well, I'm excited. Well, we appreciate you guys listening. You know the drill. We want you to find us on all the socials, Midlife State of Mind podcast on IG and Facebook, and rate and review us on any whatever podcast platform you're listening. Thank you guys for joining in. Have a wonderful week. See you next week. Bye. After we initially recorded this episode, we realized that we mispronounced Storge as storage and wanted to make that correction. This has been an E-Squared production.